0: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us again today. My name is Diego Ochoa, superintendent with the San Mateo Foster City School District, and I'm here with the One SMFC podcast. This is our program where we bring together educators and parents and even students in our district, and we talk about what matters to us as a community. It's really an opportunity for us to just sit and talk about the work that we do that we believe is so important and making such a difference for all of our students and today's special topic is, give me a drum roll, you guys, help me out with that, special education. It's a really, really um, important thing to me. My background as an educator is in special education. I taught a fourth through sixth grade bilingual special day class at Emerson Bandini Elementary. Woo-woo to all my people down there. Um, and it's really been a huge part of my journey as an educator Um And this is an opportunity for us today to get into the hows and the whys and the what's of our special education program. And I'm just really delighted to be joined by my colleagues who I'll allow to introduce themselves, starting with.
1: My name is Heather Morgan. I'm the director of special education for the school district.
0: Welcome.
2: My name is Monique Arbuckle, and I am one of the coordinators of special education for the district.
0: Yay, new to the Yay. district this year. Yes. And Heather, not new to the district.
1: No, not new. How many years? 25 this year. Is that it? Yeah, 25 25? is pretty good. Come on.
0: That's like, a, that. Ha- what is, is, do you all know as far as anniversaries go? What is that? Is it platinum? You know, what, silver. what do silver, we get her? We yeah. give, Is it Silver. 25? I don't know. Sure. We can get you something silver. <laughs> so. Like Sweet. color silver. The color. Something, silver. Yeah, something silver <laughs> colored.
3: Thank you. Yes. Hi, I'm Kira Walsh Nazario. I'm the assistant director in special ed.
0: And how many years?
3: This is my third year in the district.
0: Third year. And you started as a coordinator? Yes. Yeah. And this is your first year in the role as assistant director?
3: Yes. I'm enjoying it every minute of it. Yay. It's been good.
0: Actually, that's where we're going to begin, uh, Heather. When I was hired a couple of years ago, you were the principal of Bowditch Middle School, right. Go Bucks. <coughs> go Bucks. Go Bucks. And it, you didn't actually get to be the principal any days that year. <laughs> we brought you over to the district right. office as a director, and, and shortly thereafter as the director of special education. And you and I spent a lot of time that first year thinking about how to reorganize your department. And now you have a new structure. Talk to the parents about the structure that you and your team have put in place mm-hmm. that really started in earnest this year.
1: Mm-hmm. So the, the first, uh, probably the most important um, reorg was the creation of the complexes. And that's um, basically it's a middle school and then the feeder schools from that neighborhood that go into the, that mi- a particular middle school. And so for each of those complexes, we added a coordinator So we have four because there are four complexes in our district, one for Burrell, one for Abbott, one for Bayside, and one for Bowditch. And then we also added um, the assistant director position, which is Kira's job, and she moved up from being a a coordinator into that role. Um, And then in in addition to that, we also added a whole behavior team, which didn't exist before. And so those are the two big kind of structural changes that were additions. Um, And it adds so much more capacity within our leadership, so we're able to support the students and the principals on a more personal level and give them the support that they need.
0: And it really allows the school staff who works, let's use, for example, um, the city of Foster City. We have Foster City, Audubon, Brewer Island, Beach Park, and these elementary schools are feeding into Bowditch Middle School. So now... Correct me if I'm wrong, but the teachers and staff, and school psychologists, and principals, and counselors at those schools—they have one coordinator, right? That
1: one point person, which is their coordinator. And is,
0: Monique, is it you? Yes, that's okay. Monique. Yeah, and that's you know that's sort of the whole idea is now you are able to talk to let's say like sixty people instead of three hundred people, yes. because in prior years coordinators and You know, Kira, you you worked under these conditions, right? Mm -hmm. You were really sort of trying to support, in a way, every single school, right?
3: Right. I would say the new structure has really streamlined the support. Um, I think in the past it was duplicative in a way um, because we had more of the program specialists and the coordinator positions. Um, But, yes, Monique is our wonderful foster city coordinator and that's their point person and then I work really closely with the four coordinators um just to kind of oversee staffing and troubleshoot where needed
0: and and as an employee you want to you just want to know who to call like something came up and who do I call in the past it was kind of confusing it was like well right. this coordinator helps with behavior this coordinator has been at our meetings for kids who are in preschool this coordinator helps us when it's a parent issue so it was really not clear. And so what I experienced when I joined is I remember my first like 100 emails related to special ed. I would look at the list of people receiving it and I would say there's like 13 people on this email. And I recall sitting with Heather and saying, "Heather, what's this all about? You know, why why would it be necessary for a parent to email the director, the coord all three coordinators, three program specialists and you know, I recall, uh, you know, just us reflecting on they actually don't know whose job it is.
1: Right. We had to create create a way to streamline it and to make it more clear on who their support is. When there's an to. issue mm-hmm.
0: in one of the Foster City special education programs, who do we contact?
1: The other thing that's really important is that the creation of the four coordinators is that they're all administrators. That's um, right. Which, you know, in the past, the... The tasks that we've been asking them to do were handled more by program specialists, which are more like teachers on special assignment. They don't have the same authority or leadership that a, that a coordinator does. So now we've put um, an administrator in charge of that complex that the principals can, you know, um, work with and collaborate with, and then they can also support the other teachers and support providers that are in those complexes in a different way than a teacher can.
0: And every school is in a different place. So you might have a school that has a principal that's been there for seven years and really knows the special education program. So, Monique, you can be in a position to sort of be like a partner with them. But then you have other schools that have principals that are brand new, never been a principal, and are in their first year at that school. That's a different relationship, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the way it's structured, it definitely streamlines the support that we provide for all of the schools. I have really close relationships with all my principals, and so they know to call me no matter what it is, and then I can funnel out as appropriate or necessary. But I think also I do have a background. My trade is I'm a school psychologist as well, so I think that helps with attending the IEP meetings, understanding the assessments, understanding the recommendations, working closely with all the psychologists and the teachers, general ed and special education teachers, and just really collaborating as a team. So I make sure that I go to our the regular care team meetings weekly so we know what's going on, and, and just really providing that support for the schools. And not only the principal and the teachers, but also it's to the families. So I also work closely with parents when it's appropriate.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a big theme for us this year, is support. And one of the areas that was really out of control a year ago and definitely in prior years was how we were not addressing early behavior activities that were happening at school. We were having a lot of kids have really intense behavioral issues. And this year we created a new structure to have more employees who work for us under the banner of really behavior support. So talk to us for a minute, Heather, and then, you know, let's invite Kira and Monique to chime in here. What is this new behavior uh, team and, and how's it working? It's,
1: <clears throat> thank you. Um, so we've added, um, this structure that it, on paper, it kind of looks like a pyramid. Um, but it's basically, we've hired three board certified behavior analysts. They lead the top of this pyramid, um, and all of the training and they're highly, highly trained, um, behavior, um, professionals. And fr- underneath them, we've added a, another tier of uh, registered behavior technicians, which are also highly trained, um, but just not quite at that same uh, certified level as a BCBA. And then um, under that... And, and in oh, prior sorry.
0: years, how many BCBAs did we employ?
1: I th- well, I th- at first, none. Yeah. And we then we had any. one I'm coordinator who was also uh, yeah. a BCBA yeah, but she was heading up, but the but that whole wasn't thing the work herself. she was doing. No. she was she was, she was a coordinator. Like responding
0: to a lot of other mm-hmm. things beyond behavior. But at the same time, how many registered behavior technicians did we employ?
1: We had none when I first came on board.
0: right. And that's what that's what we're doing now. We're trying to create a new system for how we operate. So it isn't a case of saying we hired another person. It's saying, we saw something that didn't exist and we created something to try to address a need that we believed existed. So these board-certified behavior analysts, their their work is completely new to the district. And the registered behavior technicians' work is also completely new. So, Monique and Kira, what, what are these BCBAs and RBTs, to use those acronyms, what are they doing in our schools? How are they helping these schools?
2: Yeah, they've been extremely beneficial we include them when it's appropriate you know when we have significant behavior problems or students with an IEP if we need that additional support or guidance even or data collection so the BCBAs really work closely with with the coordinators and the administrators at the schools and we have them come in and really be a part of the meeting part of the discussion you know so we can address the need and with the RBTs they're really on the ground, working with the students, working... um,
0: They're in classrooms. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Working in, in classrooms, working closely, and not only working with the students, but working with the teachers. So one thing that they do provide that's extremely works really well is every other week they have a behavior training. For all the paraprofessionals and the administrators are invited as well. So to,
0: to help them interpret behavior
2: exactly, and and modeling yeah. how to work with students, how to redirect, how to you know all of those behavior things, yeah. and you know, and not only if if someone's not able to attend, they provide an ongoing, yeah. you know. Um, slideshow or, or, you know, PowerPoint. So they have, it's really, this year I've seen, I think it's been great. And
0: they're in the classrooms on a regular basis because, let's just use an example, this this summer I was working in a program where I was bringing kids in to do some Lego robotics and the kids were young. These were five and six-year-olds. And, uh, you know, there was a particular incident where a student became very frustrated and actually took all the Legos and threw them off the the table now i have five kids at home so that that's not even close to setting me off my limits but i thought okay well let's pick up these legos right and the student was very uh, agitated and and uh, needed to get some of the frustration out and grabbed a chromebook their chromebook and threw it on the ground and um I walked over to the area and, and there were other student Chromebooks on the table. And when the student reached for them, I just put my hand in the way and said, These are not your Chromebooks. So, you know, we're not going to do that. But, um, but I didn't sort of lunge at the student or um, do anything beyond just put my hand physically right next to the computer in front and say, Please don't take that. Now, I have a background as a special education teacher and many years of behavioral training. Um, but the student was able to calm down. And the other students in, in the class said, oh, let's pick up the Legos and let's get started again. So within a minute, all the other students in the class just got right back to what they were doing. But think about what might happen for a person who doesn't have experience, who says, that student scared me. That student was angry with me. That student lunged at me. That student." So the same incident with a person who has training and experience could be perceived as I thought of it's like it's not it's literally not a big deal but you without training without experience might say I was in danger I was afraid the student was going to throw the computer at me this is a child (laughs) you're right that's what our BCBAs and RBTs are doing right Kira
3: yeah I would say that that's a really great example of just one of the benefits our behavior team is really able to provide this year. I would say just seeing the model from last year to this year, I think a couple of huge differences is just our increased ability to do that training proactively instead of reactively. I think the model before was just, you know, a student is having difficulty with the behavior, and we would kind of come in reactively um, kind of after the fact, something had happened.
0: And you might be in a meeting. It might be like a a stack of reports and 10 adults talking about what happened last week.
3: Right. And I think at this, with the behavior team as it's set up now, we can even kind of forecast. So say if we're getting a new student into a program, we can make sure our RBTs are at that program to support the transition. You can
0: say the students coming in November 11th, let's make sure, you know, have Monique contact the BCBA to get an RBT there, meet the family, welcome the kid, get into the classroom and observe what happens on that first day.
1: And and even coach the general education teacher on appropriate ways to welcome them into the room and things you can do to help them be successful on their very first day and feel welcome in their room.
0: Yeah, and I think that kind of summarizes how we have gotten to where we are in our special education um, process with students is things will happen that surprise us we'll have you know one of the three of you or maybe all of you will get an email in the next 24 hours that says there's an issue at xyz school but you have a team now and last year when these emails came in Heather, in many cases, you or Kira were actually driving to the school within the next day or so to try to figure out what was going on. But you have many, many other duties not related to that behavioral concern that couldn't allow you to be there later that afternoon and the next day and a week later. Our BCBAs and our RBTs can do those things. Isn't that right?
1: Right. They have a very specific purpose, Mm -hmm. and they're able to be deployed as needed. They're not getting called in to
0: do tutoring for a kid. No. They're not getting pulled to substitute for a teacher. Mm -hmm. They're not getting pulled to go and handle an academic reading concern. Their focus is the social-emotional wellness and the behavior that we're seeing specifically with our...
1: Right, and building the capacity, too, of the team. So because Mm -hmm. they have this high, high level of training and knowledge, they're able to really... Um, build the capacity of the general education staff, the RVTs, the principals, everyone has a, a much um, more robust sort of ability. It's like that trainer of trainers model, yeah. where like we can spread so much more information about what to be expected with good behavioral coaching.
0: Oh, absolutely. It's super exciting work. It's like, it's like It's very rewarding to see this work happening. But at the same time, there's a whole parent component that plays a big role in all this. And we have, we have a big meeting tonight, right? We have a CDAC meeting this evening. Heather, you work very closely with CDAC. I know, Kira, you attended our meetings last year and continue to be involved this year. Talk to the families out there about CDAC. What does CDAC do? What kind of impact is CDAC making? And, and tell us about tonight's meeting.
1: Yeah. So CDAC stands for Special Education uh, District Advisory Committee. Yay. Yeah, yeah, I got it. <laughs> and um, we meet uh, almost monthly. It's a collection of really anyone interested in learning more or participating, um, and it's largely parent-driven. But we also have other members that come from all different um, areas of the school district, and we meet to talk about hot topics in education and special education. Um, there's areas of interest over the course of the year, so we usually um, look at you know uh, a. a section that might be more interesting. Um, or Like assess, initial assessments. could be or, assessments yeah. or um, autism, um, yeah. inclusion, things like that. And so, for example, tonight we have a guest speaker who's coming to talk to us about inclusion and best practices in classrooms. Um, she's part of an initiative, and she has a webcast um, that she does also. And our our parent leaders within CDAC reached out to us and said, would you please invite her to our meetings? Yeah. Um, and so her name's McAllister Hyun. I, I hope I'm pronouncing mm-hmm. that correctly. Yeah. yeah. And so we've I invited her to come uh, present to us tonight. And we also will cover some other. Um, we usually have some time for open-ended questions because people will come with maybe specific questions, or, or and sometimes general, just about how things work. Who sh- like who should we go to? Do we go to our coordinator if we have questions? Um, And then sometimes people have more specific things pertaining just to their own child.
0: And it's a place for them to share.
1: Yeah, it's a place to share and talk and problem solve and for us to be available to them so they have access to both myself and Kira.
0: Yeah, and, you know, these parents might also attend their school's PTA meetings or their school's uh, school site council meetings, but this is a group that isn't really just focused on one school. It's focused on the whole program, right? It's, it's focused the on the program, whole program, the whole district, the whole district, the whole community of people that are that are invested in this work. We also have some fun stuff going on with the Best Buddies program. We're we're moving down the road of implementing that. Talk to these families for a minute about the Best Buddies program and what what ideas we have for this year. Sure.
1: So Best Buddies is a nonprofit organization. It's a sister nonprofit to um, the Special Olympics. And it's designed to create inclusive spaces so for students, um, mostly during the school day. So like lunchtime at uh, on middle school campuses is where we're going to start. And um, it, it creates a space. It gives um, activities for kids to do. And it combines kids with a buddy with between a gen ed student and a student with special needs. And they have an opportunity to, you know, learn about each other, learn from friendship. each other, it's make about friends, connection. It's have about, something to do together. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: yeah, And, and uh, you know, just in my personal family, we have a number of, of family members have, who have uh, disabilities. And there's something very special about um, when you come to school and you know you have a personal history uh, with a family member that has disabilities and being able to connect with children who go to school with you who might have the same disability, Um, Or who you see um, really could use a friend. Right. Could use somebody that they can connect with on a daily basis.
1: Yeah. And after being a a middle school principal for many years in this district, um, my number one priority for all kids is that sense of belonging. Um, Academics are important, of course, but the most important thing for that age group of students is not not feeling alone and having somebody that you can you know, sit with at lunch or, you know, say hi to at passing time or, you know, just that, that sense of belonging is absolutely the most important thing for every student. So Best Buddies is a place where that can be developed and um, where we can help facilitate that for kids who maybe wouldn't do it on their own.
0: And we're looking at doing this at all our middle schools, right?
1: We're looking at it for all four middle schools. And we do have um, one elementary chapter that's already um, in place at Foster oh, City School.
0: Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Foster City, our Largest elementary largest school. Largest elementary school. <laughs> I, I think last year I told the principal, one out of every 10 kids in this district goes to your school, something <laughs> like that. It was like, you know, the number was super, super yep. high. And and uh, they do a wonderful job there at Foster City with mm-hmm. that program. And, and at the same time, the Best Buddies organization is going to connect with us and help us get this program off the ground. Right. Yeah. And, you know, in the special ed realm, thinking about how the system that we created to have coordinators and a a close relationship with our new assistant director who's able to to think through complicated issues because when you're trying to give children individualized educational plans it's very it's very uh multi-layered and you you need people who can really sit down together and think through how to best support students and i just speaking on behalf of myself and our school board I'm just so thankful to all of our staff I think visiting classrooms and seeing the excellent work that our teachers and our paraprofessionals do um, we're very lucky to have the people the quality of people who work in our district that do and now we have a system and a structure to help those teachers staff and principals know how to get more support Mm -hmm. and then you look at something like our behavior program and how how just how different it is this year to have people with expertise and time and focus. And our parent component through CDAC continues to grow. And now having these kids connecting with each other. I just see it all coming together. This is the this, this podcast is one of our last um, ways to communicate uh, district-wide about special education. I'm not going to end without also pointing out that when we got back our, our uh, statewide uh, assessment results... Our special education students did so well compared to uh, non special education students. They did better than many, many districts throughout California in terms of growth. And then our, our internal assessments have you all been reading those documents, so myself and Diego send out? Yes. <laughs> I always put the special education subgroup in there. They're doing really yeah. well. So that tells me our inclusion efforts are working. Our intervention efforts are working, and I think we're heading to a really, really good place. And and uh, we'll end here because there's more work to do. Um, it's a long journey for us, but we're we're doing really, really good work. And I want to thank you all for joining me on the One SMFC podcast.